Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Seven Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, or if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for joining me. Uh, hopefully, you've been enjoying this uh, series we've on on sex in the church. Uh, hopefully, you've been enjoying the personal stories of Melissa and Kaylee. And today, we're going to be having our third part here. We're going to be ta- talking with uh, Natalie Miller Moore. Uh, she lives out in Colonial Williamsburg, and and she has a lot of stuff to uh, share. And I'm very excited for her to share her wisdom with you guys. So, Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Scott. I think this is a great topic, and I'm so pleased to be joining the conversation. Yeah, well, thank you for being on the show. I know sometimes sometimes it's hard to kind of get everyone together or do things in a pandemic because it seems like we're always busy doing something, whether it's work or kids or anything else that may be. <laughs> so so um, kind of tell us a little bit about your history of kind of growing up in the church and kind of how sex may have been taught within the home and within the church. Well, let me start a little bit with where I am now okay. and then work backwards because absolutely the work I'm doing now is informed by the way that I was raised. So I work as a healthcare writer. That's my professional job. I work with hospitals and physicians offices. And I just found over the years myself to be very interested in women's health. Um, and that doesn't just mean reproductive health, but women's health topics. And a couple of years ago, I got trained to be a facilitator for Our Whole Lives, which is the lifespan sexuality education uh, curriculum produced by the the Unitarian Universalist Association and the United Church of Christ. And so in doing that in a religious setting, it was very compelling to me because we weren't just talking about the acts of sex, but really relationships and body image and sensuality in addition to some topics related to like the nuts and bolts of healthcare that's related to sex and reproduction. So currently I'm running a workshop that is not UU affiliated called Yes Please, Closing the Pleasure Gap for women that I'm running with a friend of mine who's a sex therapist. And we're just having conversations with women about sexuality, and we're doing a ton of reading, which is another thing I really, really enjoy. So backing up a little bit, I was raised Catholic in a Catholic neighborhood in Cleveland and got most of my health and sexuality information from school, but also from my mom, who's a nurse. And I found her approach to things to be very practical and very forthright and almost a little bit clinical. So my mom definitely didn't pull any punches when it came to like, what are the body parts? What do they do? How does this work? Um, I knew the proper names for everything, which until maybe I became a mom, I didn't realize wasn't true for everybody. So my mom definitely answered questions that I had about biologic or physiologic functions. But I will say that I think there's a lot of conversations we need to be having about like what what are your values will translate to when you're making choices about your behavior or your decisions and also a lot of the information is missing and everybody has to go find it for themselves and everybody has a little bit of a different approach some people are reluctant until they have to and some people are um maybe only focused on one one part instead of the holistic view of things so 
that's a little bit of background about me. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, you obviously mentioned your mom being a nurse and talking. Um, as far as like your religious upbringing in the Catholic Church, was that something that was talked about in talked about at all within that church setting? Or was it kind of, you know, we don't really talk about it unless it was something that had to be talked about. <laughs> so, you know, as a kid, I don't think that you realize the messages that you're getting until you take a pause as an adult and say like, well, what did I actually learn? And, mm-hmm. and some of it is direct. I would say the direct messages that I received were um, sex is something to be afraid of. Hmm. Somebody might try to have sex with you, particularly the messages for female children are slightly different. Like mm-hmm. basically these ideas that like some kind of sex monster will creep up on you and you need to be prepared at all times to defend yourself from this. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that I grew up in the context of um, like the late eighties and early nineties, which means um, a rising awareness of sort of like sexual predators and kidnapping and um, sort of HIV AIDS. And I think all of those things really fed into like scary, scary sex related things. And there was some family life, family life education at different stages, but it was for part of the year. And a lot of it was focused on um, here's the right way to do this which is to not do it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite stories is that when I was a senior at a Catholic high school, um, we had a whole semester on sexuality taught by a very funny little man. And I took a quiz on natural family planning that involved a chart about ovulation and sort of pinpointing when you could get pregnant. And this turned out to be actually very progressive. So um, in my reference to some people don't look for information until they have to, I did a series of reporting stories for the health journal, a local magazine about infertility. And so I was shocked to find out that people don't pay very much attention to their fertility until they've been trying to get pregnant and can't. And I was like, oh, well, my Catholic high school actually taught me quite a bit about the ovulation (laughs) cycle. I don't know if that's what their intention was, but it, it was an interesting look at that. Um, the context of that class was, you know, sort of save yourself for marriage and do everything very organically, which I feel like can be a good core message, but it also leaves out a whole bunch of other things. It really, it really is oversimplistic in my opinion. Yeah. And I, and I think from, you know, growing up Protestant and, you know, and I shared my story about how, you know, sometimes I felt like the more the, as far as how I learned about sex was actually in junior high where we had someone from Planned Parenthood actually come and teach us and talk to us about contraceptives and sexual transmitted disease and even taught us about abstinence, which was weird because I didn't hear much about that conversation in the church, which is kind of like their big push of like, you know, that whole save yourself for marriage. And, you know, it's interesting to see how growing up in a Catholic high school where you, you were, most people would assume, oh, it's kind of the same religious message of like, you know, save yourself for marriage, but that they're able to teach you things about ovulation cycles and things like stuff that I 
would have no clue, which, well, I'm a man, so I'm probably not paying attention to that. But even about male reproductive health, like, I don't know much about anything until, you know, I started looking into it for myself, probably about college or even after I graduated from college. So you talk a little bit about, you know, the work that you do and talk a little bit about, you know, it's not just about how to have sex, but talk more about the relationship side and the more of the holistic thing. So can you dive in a little bit about that into more detail about kind of, you know, the different ways we have to look at sex to kind of have the complete picture? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the important things about lifespan, sexuality, education, is that we need to recognize that people are born spirits into a body and that body experiences good feelings and bad feelings and that there isn't anything inherently shameful about those feelings. There can be choices made about your actions or your behaviors, but uh, the experience of being human is like, we like soft things. We like good food. We like warm weather with a nice breeze. Like having pleasurable things happen to your body is, is good. It's, it's good for you to experience pleasure. And a lot of times the narrative in our society is that your body is a thing to be ashamed of. And so I have found in our conversations, particularly with women, that they're really held back by like sexy bodies are women who look perfect. Mm. And if, if you were in a culture that was promoting abstinence and then monogamy until marriage, like it's not really very helpful to live in a culture that says like sex is for people who are sexy, not for you. So like, are we promoting messages of um, sex is good for you and good for your relationship? And the other very strong message I've heard from a lot of women is uh, they scared me about sex so badly from when I was like 12 to when I was 22. And then I got married and I just couldn't let go of sex is bad. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. like the gate has been lifted and you're married now and you should be able to have sex and you should be able to enjoy it. That mental conditioning that I'm doing something wrong or I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't ask any questions Mm -hmm. or I can't communicate about this because it's so shameful. Yeah. Like the investment in those um, folks not having sex, which some people think is a really important value. They don't seem to be looking at the long-term effects of this, which is how long does it take to deprogram sex is bad and make it an important part of a healthy relationship. I think we haven't really looked at that. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's very important because I mean, I, I was even having think talking about this the other day where, you know, we're, you know, our society from magazines and commercials and even television shows where there is a definitive look. And I think even when it comes to, that idea of sex, like, you know, for me growing up in the nineties, you know, I used to watch WWE and WCW wrestling, but then, I mean, but then there's always this image of here's these guys who are built, who are ripped. And, you know, there's that idea that, you know, that's something that I want to strive to be. And even though that's more of a physical health thing, but I think that also played into how I viewed my body as far as, you know, well, are women going to find me attractive? Am I going to get married? Am I going to be able to, you know, have, you know, you know, am I going to be able to have sex because I don't have anybody? And, you know, there's always those things. And I think you bring up a good point about, you know, these 
I'm I'm going to say receptors like our body knows what's good for it, what's bad for it, and especially when you are trying to negate something that is actually good for you, um, then that's something that kind of can cause a lot of damage. And I think that's interesting that, you know, when you're programmed or told things from, you know, 12 to 22, that's kind of how do you break those things down and what type of long mental effects does that have on someone's mind? And, and I mean, I can even think about just even, with my wife and I just kind of the idea of, you know, I think it took a long time for us to even be comfortable after we got married because so much of this stuff was, well, should I be enjoying this? Because I feel like I shouldn't, even though, even though we're married and we're kind of, you know, we did everything that the church has taught us to do. It's like, well, okay. Like we're still kind of not comfortable with it and to, and I think it's taken you know a lot of years before we can finally get to that stage of comfortability mm-hmm. and this is about communication as much as like performance really mm-hmm. but we also have this dynamic of women as passive and so it makes it harder for women to say like I really don't want you to do that or what mm-hmm. I would really like this And I think that probably takes years. And sometimes people will be in a marriage with another person and never have that conversation because they think they're not supposed to. Mm. And I am a big, um, I mean, I read a ton of books about sexuality and relationships and um, Esther Perel has a great book called Mating in Captivity. And she talks about like desire usually is sort of generated by the mysterious and the interesting, but intimacy is about like knowing somebody really well. And then you live with somebody for a really long time and you have a lot more intimacy. Like, you know, um, that they leave their wet towels on the floor and that they are good at telling bedtime stories. But, but how do you over 10 years or 20 years keep things interesting? And I think it's a great question because um, this model of, like a long-term fulfilling sexual relationship. It's not one thing. It has to continue to evolve. And sometimes it doesn't. And I think the real peril here and not talking about sex after marriage is that marriages will fall apart as a result because nobody would talk about it. And they're just like, well, you know, we drifted apart or we're not compatible. And so there are some actual long-term risks here when we set people up to be in a this is the only person you can have sex with and sex is important, but also you're going to get super busy and a little bit bored with this person. So it'd be great if you um, had some conversations, but we don't actually give you any tools to have them. Yeah. And I think communication is key. I remember being in college and there was a introduction to Christian ministries. And I remember we were talking about kind of like the whole Christian, you know, at people who are in ministry, you know, taking care of your families and making sure, you know, you do that. And I remember towards the very end of the class and this, like uh, his name was professor Shively, 78 years old, just, you know, sweetest man and always so kind. And he just basically says, keep your marriage alive, keep it sexy. And that was kind of how he ended class. And it was just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay. like, that's great. But I mean, I think communication is always key. And I, I, and I understand that, you know, there are times where it's almost like, well, you know, women kind of feel like they're in the passive role and it's just their men who are just kind of like these, it's almost like 
because you're married now, you now have permission to do whatever you want to my body. And I don't have a say on what you need to do, which I feel like is not a relational. That's not communication. And, Mm -hmm. and it can do a lot of damage from that. And even just hearing people's stories who have been married and divorced and, you know, they kind of talk about that role and you're just like, Oh my, you know, you you think you sit there and you go, Oh my gosh, like how could this happen? But very well, you can kind of look at their example, their history, their story, what they were taught and you can go, well, that's how it happened. And I think that's very important. So with your, so with your work, cause we talked about, you know, kind of the information. So when you have, when you're doing like a, maybe a group session or when you're doing a seminar, when you're maybe doing some one-on-one with people, how do you get them to kind of women to kind of be able to get to that point where they can kind of start to slowly build new healthy views of sex and kind of eliminate some of these views that may or may not be so healthy. So I do think it, we have to say um, everybody coming into adulthood has a different background of like what they were told, what they were taught, and then what they experienced. So like everybody comes into adulthood with sort of this package of things. And you do really need to take some of those things out and say like, is this useful for me? Like, is it useful for me as a 43 year old woman to be hung up on you know, being flat chested as a seventh grader, like my body has changed. My life has changed. Like this is not a useful um, little piece of information. I'm going to throw that away. And so I do think there's a process of just like revising and reviewing, like, you know, a lot of women come into adulthood with some sexual trauma, either just like comments from people or people (laughs) touching them when they don't have permission or much more extensive traumatic experiences. And so people internalize that this was their fault or they did something wrong or that they had a positive sexual experience, but then somebody shamed them about it. So I would say the baseline needs to be what's helpful for me moving forward as an idea. And this idea that pleasure is your right, like that you should enjoy pleasurable experiences. You should be able to ask for them. You should be able to be proud of them. And it's really about what works for you. And as long as it's a safe and consensual situation, that's how I would encourage people to look at it. The other thing is that when we don't have all the information and then we make a choice, for instance, a lifelong monogamy commitment, um, there's people who realize years later that 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 wasn't what they wanted or their their sexual preferences are different or their relational preferences are different or they have a um, sort of like a sexual interest that their partner doesn't share. And I feel like those conversations need to happen before anybody makes a commitment instead of just sort of like saying like, this is a default situation. Like I'm sure this guy I've agreed to marry and I will just follow the script that's been set for us. First of all, you need to find out if they have the same script in mind that you have. And then you need to talk about it as it changes over time. And it's, I like to say marriage is not one thing. So isn't one thing the entire length of the marriage? And it is also not one thing between different people who are married. And so it's an important conversation to say like, so how do you see this going after we're married? And, mm-hmm. and in this case, we're talking about sex, but I think this conversation needs to be had about, are we having children? Who's taking care of them? Whose career is going to have the priority? Where are we going to live? 
Like you need to have a lot of conversations before you get married and not just rely on the assumptions that like the other person is on the same page with you. But this one I think is really important and post children, I think it starts to erode if you haven't had the conversation about like how important is having sex to you? Because once you have kids, you're so tired and you're pulled in so many directions and your body feels different that um, you haven't had a serious conversation about it. It can start to degrade the, the ties that bind you together because you are crabby and frustrated. And then, mm-hmm. it goes, you know, I've heard of people not having sex for years after having children and their failure to talk about that mm-hmm. has led to their marriage dissolving. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I agree with you, just the conversation, just, I mean, it needs to happen. And I, even as a, even as a pastor, when I do premarital counseling, you know, I always make sure, do you guys, are you guys having this conversation? And, you know, I talk about a lot of different things from, you know, money to power, to relationship structures, to work, to sex, to all of that. And I have to make sure. And the thing I always tell them, they think the very first thing I tell them is I talk about communication. You got to talk about everything because the moment you stop communicating and you're not willing to sit down and have those honest, sometimes difficult conversations, maybe even sometimes uncomfortable conversations, then you know, you're not going to get very far because then, you know, life is, you know, we can't just think that, oh, once this happens and this is my life for the rest of my life. And we're just follow kind of this, you know, like you say, scripted plan, because obviously, you know, your scripted plan, one couple scripted plan could be get married, have five kids. And let's say you struggle with infertility. How does that blow that script out of the water? Where do you go to next? You know, and what type of additional shame and building blocks get built on that. And then especially if you have a spouse that is grieving, but doesn't want to talk about it and you're not willing to talk to each other about it, then yeah, I can see where that can cause a lot of uh, dismantling of relationships. Um, Yeah. So, so as far as um, you, you know, you talked about being a, being a mom and having kids. So, how would you, when it comes to teaching your kids about sex, how would you, in some ways, follow the script that you have been given to with your mom talking to you about it? And what are some things that you may do differently? So someday when you're interviewing my children on a podcast, (laughs) I have three sons. They will be like, mom talked to us about sex all the time. I'm sure that's what it seems like to them but they are at ages where they're asking me questions and I am absolutely committed to trying to give them the most honest, most nuanced answer possible. So usually it ends up me driving the minivan and ranting slightly about something. But I think that communicating honest, accurate information that also communicates values is paramount. This might be one of the most important jobs I have as a parent So what surprised me when I became a Unitarian Universalist back in 2003 was that I was a youth group advisor and the kids were much more open about sexuality because that was one of the values was that they had taken this owl class at the teenage um, or like middle school, early high school. And I was a little bit surprised, but one of the values is that you're a human being and sexuality is part of that experience. And I actually learned a lot 
from them as sort of role models. And, and now my children have gone through, um, there's a ki kindergarten first grade, there's a fifth and sixth grade that's like a couple of sessions. And then there's a extremely comprehensive middle school owl class that was 25 sessions, like 90 minutes long. And I kept joking like my oldest son was gonna know more about sex than I was. Just one of the reasons that I took the adult owl class when it was offered and then I became a facilitator. So I think my kids have a lot more information, but I still think it's important to reiterate um, consent. So it's really important that everyone's having a good time. There are some ways to check in on that. And that conveys in our daily life by like, don't touch your brother <laughs> unless he permitted you to touch him or give people their space or um, things like that, but consent. And then safety to some degree, like this is what we expect for you at this stage of life. Please talk to us about anything that's going on. We're always here for, for you, we're here for questions. Um, my son asked me a question in the car about like, what's the difference between a condom and a tampon? And I made sure to address that right away because those things do not function the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of safety. And, and I think the third thing is that we don't want them to grow up being ashamed of who they are. And we have been very explicit about our welcome to whoever they bring into their lives, whatever relationship style they want. Uh, my eight-year-old is adamant he's never getting married because he's going to be playing professional football. So we will see if those things are actually related or actually come true. But Ke Kevin, we love you whether you get married or not. Mm -hmm. You want to have a cat? You want to live in an apartment building? Whatever, like whatever your life choices are, we support them as long as they make you the best person that you can be. And I do think that one of the challenges is there's a lot of social norms around relationships and a relationship is both like a tiny little bubble of the two of you, but also a lot of social pressure. And so what part of this for me is to say, your options are open, but like spend some time really thinking about what it is you want. What does the other person want? Who are they? And what's going to work for you in the long term. So I guess I'm trying really hard to ensure that my children don't feel like there's an expectation that they just have a default marital arrangement. I want them to spend a lot of time thinking about what works for them. And I think that sets them up for more success and less pain in the long run, even though, I mean, I'll admit, sometimes it's a little bit awkward to answer the questions, but, you know, it my age, I've realized lots of people never had the talk with their kids at all. So I'm just having it over and over again, which is the really popular advice is there is no the talk. It's a bunch of talks over your kid's lifetime. And I think that's better than getting to some kind of teenage pregnancy situation and being like, oh, I had no idea that you were having sex or you didn't know how to do it safely or you get in some kind of legal trouble because you didn't know how to get consent properly and now you've hurt someone mm -hmm. so I'm very cognizant that it's one of the most important jobs I have and I want to do a really really good job and I hope that my kids perceive it that way in the long run and I'm willing to take the risk that it's awkward today for the long-term gain yeah 
Good, good. And um, so when it comes to, you know, the stuff that you do, or maybe people who may be listening, is there any resources or a website that they can go to to kind of get maybe if they're interested in kind of getting that help or getting some more of that information? What are some places that you can send them to or that you would recommend? So the OWL website is part of the Unitarian Universalist Association website, and it has some information, some resources, and it talks about like what a good sex ed program has and, um, and sort of how it maps to values. And I do think, you know, the problem, there are people who are listening to this who will have a different set of values that they want to organize this topic around. And I think you just need to make sure you're communicating, like, this is what you should do. And this is why I think you should do this. Um, I would also just try to be really curious about unpacking some of that past baggage and maybe reading some books to fill in some gaps. So um, I actually do book reports for my women's workshop and I have a website that I'm working on that's called booknotesbynatalie.com, which is still being built. And then my, um, my other class is called Yes, Please. And I'm working on a website for that as well. But um, I'm at nataliemillermore.com. And I will say that I do feel like we're doing a better job of having some of these conversations, but we are still getting tangled up in like a bunch of different conflicting messages. And so unfortunately I think it ends up being up to each person to sort of prescribe for themselves, like here's where I am, what do I, what do I need? And so that ends up being like a little bit more specific to that person. Um, Maybe I'll follow up and send you some things that I would recommend okay. in general, but I have read probably like 25 <laughs> books this year and I love it. And I love talking to people about it, but it is a funny thing to be at, you know, soccer practice reading books about orgasms, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. Well, Natalie, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for sure. sharing your expertise and your wisdom on this topic. And guys, thank you so much for listening and watching. Again, Natalie said she'll send me some stuff and I'll definitely, once we get this episode posted, we'll definitely have all those links to those resources for you to be able to go. But again, you can find Natalie at uh, nataliemillermore.com. Is that correct? Yes at the website. So if you want to get more information or link up with Natalie, you can do it through their website. And again, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. I've definitely been educated by this, uh, by this podcast. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you, Scott. All right. And guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great day and I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye.